Hello, you. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. This week on the show, Robert Galbraith, a.k.a. J.K. Rowling, brings us news of the brand new book from the Strike series, The Ink Black Heart. Mark Feely tells us all about his West End debut in the Secret Garden in concert at the London Palladium. Emma Forrest teaches us about embracing solitude in her latest memoir, Busy Being Free. Show chef Martha has a peanut butter noodle treat for us. We've got another mystery voice for you to reveal in Guess the Guest. And we've been putting our heads together to solve your dilemmas in Graham's Guide. Here's Maria to tell us more. Oh, yeah. She's yes, one of us. One of us. She's here. Co- Good morning. Yes, part of the Virgin family. Hello. Virgin family. <laughs> uh, have you had a lovely week? I've had a very nice week. It's been sort of late summery, hasn't it? Hasn't felt, it, though? Yes. Felt slightly autumnal yes, in the morning. Yes. And then lovely. Yes. Because, you know, the, yes. the, the days of shush, the days <laughs> of horror heat seem to be behind us. Yes. And yesterday, oh, well, obviously, my sewage in the sea protest with my red flag. Graham. I saw you in your lovely yellow coat. Was well, that a coat or a long cardigan? It was a coat. Okay. It, it was un- completely unnecessary, but I like to stand out. Yes, no, it did look like you were very much in charge. <laughs> I wasn't. Where should we stand? Ask the lady in the yellow coat. <laughs> she seems to be in charge. <laughs> yes, no. We had our local MP who came also. Who's that? Uh, it's Ali Ann Hart. Oh, yes. Um, it was a mistake, really, because... <laughs> you were not pleased to see her. No. And she did try and do some speaking out loud with words, but she was drowned out by, you know... The sound of flushing. <laughs> yes, that sort of thing. Um, and also, I went to, oh, Graham, a wonderful restaurant, I have to tell you. Oh, I'm... nothing nicer than lunch after a protest. Ah, uh, you know... <laughs> Nothing nice. You've got to have something to flush in the sea. Oh, yes. (laughs) Don't be so rude, Maria. No, I went to Water Lane, which is a lovely restaurant owned by somebody you know, I think, called Nick Selby. I knew him a thousand years ago. Lovely chap. I knew him when he was a lad. I can't believe he's still working. (laughs) You're still working and you must have been a lad too. I'm doing a sitting down job. (laughs) Yes, that's true. Running a restaurant. No, he was running around like mad. Water Lane in Hawkehurst and I had the most delicious burrato and then fresh mackerels from the sea mackerels from the the sea um but not the sea that's nasty no martha's going to run in now and tackle you to the ground and go back off the food that's my job she is yeah no but i very rarely um, if anyone's talking about mackerels i very rarely rarely talk about food because i very rarely eat food as you know graham being a supermodel is essential (laughs) that i stay exhausting work the size of a twig (laughs) um but no it was delicious and also knickerbocker glory for pudding oh my goodness have you had a knickerbocker glory um, in my life, yes. It's a very good. It's a very good thing. I think it's I a... last had one in my twenties. Really? Yes. Oh, when when I had a metabolism. <laughs> but they really do take you back to days by the seaside, and you know, a, a big treat was getting a knickerbocker glory with a long spoon. Oh, the long spoon! Mm. They still make them. Lovely. Yes, they still make them. <laughs> so tell me how your week has been. I've done things. I know I've done. Oh, do you know what I did? I spent many, many hours, many, many hours doing my. Audiobook. Yes, now how did you get on doing all the voices? I know all the voices were Irish, but you had to make them different. No, I had to make one a bit English. Oh, can but you do that? Can we hear no, a bit of that? No, you can't. You really can't. It was all very buttock-clenchingly embarrassing. But do you know what the weird thing is? I, I ended up doing a lot of crying. I was so not expecting. Because this book is quite funny. 
It's Wait quite a funny book. Wait a minute. Book. Let's back. It, real back. You ended up crying at your own words. Yes, I was. I was when moved. You read them out loud. I was moved by my Graham, own book. Graham, I'm. I love that. I no, but I think I was touching. overtired. I mean, I think people will read the book and think, "What bit did he cry at?" Uh, Stop yeah. it. Stop backtracking now. I like that the fact that you know when you read things out loud, sometimes you write them and they're on the page, and you think, "Okay, that's done. Send it to my editor." And then you read it out loud, and you suddenly it touches a nerve. Yes, well, it's like when, when I do the book events, you know, question and answer or something, and someone will ask you some question, and it's something, you know, a story you've told loads of times, and da da da, and then you start telling it again, and for sometimes, you know, it's say something about my dad or something like that, and suddenly, or I might be talking about the dogs, and suddenly, ooh, I'm, I'm, I'm tearing up now, and I, I refuse to cry in front oh, of an I audience. Know. When I did some <laughs> Quick, of those... next slide, next what, slide. One of, your, <laughs> one of your books, I think I did some chitty-chatting with you, interviewed you on around the thing, yeah. and I would notice that, that you would sometimes well up, and then that would make me well up, and then we're just two blubbering people on yeah. stage, which is no good to anyone. <laughs> Yeah. People were asking for their money back. Nurse, the screens. <laughs> <laughs> their medication, please. Yes, their sadness it. medication <laughs> is needed. Virgin Radio. OK, I'm going to read you the first of two letters that I have in about my person. Here's one. Dear Graham and Maria, my grown-up stepson moved in around seven years ago following issues with other family members. Ground rules were laid down, for example, cleaning your own room, being tidy, helping around the house, etc. And initially, all was well. But it went downhill about three years ago, to the point where we now longer speak, unless we have to. I feel that our house is no longer our home. He basically does nothing to help out, has a really bad attitude and is here 24-7. It's a horrible atmosphere and me and my husband have no privacy. Although my husband has admitted his son needs to fly the nest and his behaviour is unacceptable, in private he rarely backs me up. The last time that the idea of him moving out with other family members hmm, was raised, my stepson threatened some awful things as he didn't feel wanted. I'm between a rock and a hard place because although I'm very unhappy, I wouldn't want to see him homeless, but feel he is using emotional blackmail against us and our marriage is slowly being destroyed by him. My husband is also very stressed from having to mediate between us all the time. I don't want to give my husband, whom I love dearly, the ultimatum to choose between us, but I'm really struggling to find a way through this. Uh, what can I do? That is from Rebecca in East Sussex. Oh, Rebecca, now this is, you know, one of those problems that I think a lot of people are dealing with. You say your stepson moved in around seven years ago. Already alarm bells. <clears throat> How old is your stepson? And you say that he has problems with other family members. I'm guessing that's his biological mum who he was living with. Now, threats cannot be used. You cannot be held captive by this potential blackmail of I'll do something very bad. I mean... Number one, it's not doing him any favours um, to let him stay there and behave badly and be an utter bore. And it's not doing your marriage any favours. I mean, something's got to give here. Is he depressed? Is your stepson depressed? Is he, you know, in any way a vulnerable person? Is this why he's being moved from family members to family members until they have enough of him because that is a different story you need to get a different form of help um 
why does he not have a job if he's there 24-7? I mean, there's so much to unpick here and I don't know how to advise you because I'm not really sure of the background. But I would say you have to sit down as a family, all three of you together, and have a proper you know, family of war, council of war, because this can't go on. It's been seven years, and for the last three of them, he's behaved like an absolute swear word. So you've got to sort this out. It's his... It's... It's no good for him either to be yeah. sitting around doing nothing. What do you think, Graham? Well, I just think... Uh, Rebecca, I would. this is about your husband, who really needs to step up and be a father, because this is his son, and it's happening in his house. You know, something needs to happen here because, uh, yes, you don't want to see him homeless you, and he's making these threats. You don't want him to harm himself in any way. But equally, this situation cannot go on. So your husband, the father, needs to say, OK, Macy, if we laid down these ground rules. Now, the mistake was three years ago letting the ground rules somehow disappear. But you've got to bring them back in. And Maria's right. If he is sort of clinically depressed or needs help, then you've got to get him the help. Um, and again, that's parenting. And that's, you know, you can only do so much, Rebecca. Because in the end, he'll always he'll always turn on Rebecca of because course. you're not my, my mother. Yeah. You know, all that classic stuff. But the father is clearly not wanting any confrontation. Yeah. I get that. He Confr wants an easy life. Confrontation yeah. is hard. And you've let this go on for seven years. How long is your stepson intending to stay with you? Is it going to be an indefinite situation? I mean, if you have some end game, end point in sight... Rebecca, then you could probably see your way clear. But you have to set down these rules again and he has to have an ultimatum of finding somewhere to live by a certain time. Maybe his father can help him in some way financially or be a guarantor or something, but he's got to stand on his own two feet. I don't know how long he's going to stay with you. When you say he's a grown-up son, how grown-up is he? And is he going to grow yeah. up more and still be living there when he's 46? And also, I was thinking, oh, three years, but actually... So it's only it was only working for four years. So basically, half the time, it's yeah. been a disaster. So, yeah, I... Ooh, you can't have somebody yeah. in your home that makes you feel like you're unwelcome in your own home or that brings an atmosphere. No wonder your marriage is strained under this. It really is. You say you don't want to do an, give an ultimatum, but it really is putting pressure on your marriage and think how lovely it will be when it is just you and your husband. You have to make something happen here. It's been going on for seven years. Somebody has to step up now. It really should be your husband, but I think yeah. it's going to have to be you, Rebecca. Well, but also I would say, you know, there are incremental things. There are baby steps to be done here in terms of helping this boy. Go on. Um, well, just because I think the just a big threat of we're kicking you out will result in a big threat of I'm going to do something stupid yeah. and da 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 so I feel like there has to be some negotiation da 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 okay if you behave yourself and start tidying your room and doing da 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 you can stay here for another six months da, 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 da. it feels like it's gone past that stage but I want you to help him to get a job and feel independent and feel a sense of uh, achievement in his life because I think he you know how can you not be depressed if you're at home 24-7 in a place where everyone hates you yeah. and you've got nothing to do you know absence of occupation is not rest a mind quite vacant is a mind distressed what, what did you just say that <laughs> did, what, but that 
was rather good. Yes. Oh, let's clip that. <laughs> Let, yes. Let's play that at the end of every Graham's Guide. Okay. Okay. Uh, if you've got advice for Rebecca in East Sussex, and sadly, I think you're right, Maria. A lot of blended families find themselves mm. in this sort of mm. situation. Graham's Guide. What advice did you have for poor Rebecca in East Sussex? Marco from Lincolnshire. I would suggest Rebecca to ask her husband to take counselling so he can reflect and take the steps required to take control of the situation. Maybe Rebecca's husband is struggling with the feeling he is in the middle, but he needs to act. It is unfair for Rebecca and her relationship to feel it is invaded by the stepson. It is, and you know, it is kind of down to this dad to step up. And if if counselling for him would help, then that is a good idea. Gary from Horridge, she needs to re agree a plan with her husband to manage the stepson. They need to give him specific tasks to do to help in the house if he wants to live there. This will give him clear boundaries. And I, I so agree, you know, it's going to be hard to pull it back after letting it slide for three years, but something's got to happen. Tony from the Wirral. It's the lazy stepson or your marriage. You are grown up. You're, you are a grown up and he's still a man boy, as is your husband. I can't believe you're letting you, letting you and your husband be held hostage. If he refuses to talk, then one or both of the idiots has to go. Your home should be your refuge, not a nightmare. I mean, that's true, but it's, you know, how do you get there? How do you solve it? Uh, Mike in Devon. <laughs> Graham is right. Do you like white burgundy, Mike? Uh, Graham is right. The dad is weak. This is a result of bad parenting. The help this stepson needs is called a job. The lady needs to sit her husband down and say wife or son. Seven years is six years too many. Living in that atmosphere is unacceptable. She needs to take charge no matter how much she loves her husband. He is taking complete advantage of her kindness. Bit harsh, but needed. Um, who would I give the wine to? Um, do you know what? I think because... So many of the advice is about, you know, making ultimatums. Da, 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 da. I quite like Marco from Lincolnshire, you know, helping this father become a better father and him having counselling. So, uh, Marco from Lincolnshire, you are going to get that bottle of white burgundy from Waitrose. This is the exciting bit. This is a second letter, ladies and gentlemen. It's and a bill. It's build. very long, so it's I've a got build. to speak really fast. Okay, it's here very you go. Long. Quick, quick. Dear Graham and Maria. I have a tight-knit group of friends. We all met at university and have since gone our separate ways across the country. Despite this, we've all stayed in close contact using our group chat and the individual friendships have been strong too. I'm based in Plymouth. My friend Philippa is in Glasgow. My friend Tom is in Kent. And Sylvia is in London. Did you get that, Graham? Yes. <laughs> we meet up fairly regularly as a group and for the past few years we've always met in London. This is fine for me and I don't mind spending the money to go and see people but thought it would be nice to go and visit Philippa in Glasgow as she has to make the most effort. I suggested this on one of our group calls and Sylvia scoffed saying there was no point and London was the cheapest option for most of us. I tried to gloss over it and say it would be nice to explore but we moved on pretty quickly and since it's been awkward between me and Sylvia. I tried, since then it's been awkward, I tried to talk to her about it separately but she said there was no issue and that I was in my own head about it. However, I've since found out that Sylvia is trying to organise a festival trip with Tom and Philippa next year and hasn't mentioned it to me at all. I only found out as Philippa had assumed 
I'd known. Are you following? Mm-hmm. Like I said, our individual friendships have always been pretty strong, but it's never been the case where secrets have been kept about plans. I wouldn't mind at all if it wasn't up my street, the festival, but it's one I'd previously suggested we all get tickets to. Am I overthinking this, or is there more at play here? And that is from Lydia in Portsmouth, and very detailed it was too, Lydia. Thank you very much. I've got the full picture. You are overthinking it. I can't think of a nicer way to say it. Really, because, I mean, Sylvia has never clearly said to anybody, you know, don't tell Lydia about this festival. So this is just an oversight. Also, it's next year, so we've got lots of time. So I would just mention it in the group chat next time and say that you're really excited. Just assume that you've been invited because um, it sounds to me like Sylvia assumes that she invited you. She, there was no, there's no jiggery-pokery here about her saying, oh, let's not ask her. That's what you're thinking. Yeah. That's what you're of. You're feeling a little bit paranoid and I think you are um, mistaken. I'm going to assume that you are mistaken. And also I want to say to you, Lydia Imports, was there's so much in life that is hard. Don't make this one of them. Yes. It's, it's a group friendship. You all met together at university and you all like each other. You had a, a little bit of a disagreement, but don't turn it into a big thing. And if Cilia, if Cilia, if Sylvia, Cilia, if yes. Cilia, if Stupida, uh, <laughs> Cilia and Stupida, the lovely twins. <laughs> if Sylvia isn't your biggest fan, big fat hairy deal. Who cares? You, you know, just said that big fat hairy deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, you funny. know what I mean. It's just like that's so, like a cartoon character. <laughs> big fat hairy deal. deal. But you know, so Sylvia doesn't love you. That you know, you you're still friends with Philippa and whoever the other creature is. Tom. Yeah, Tom. Well, well remembered. Yeah, yeah. So you know, go to the festival. You'll all have a nice time. But like you know, just no one's banning you from going to this festival. Sylvia, as you said, Sylvia hasn't said. And whatever you do, don't tell no. stupid Philippa about it. Uh, that's not what's happening here. It's... They just had a separate chat, and for some reason you didn't see it or weren't in it. So Lydia, if you want to go, ne- as Maria says, next time you're in the group chat, kind of going oh so listen what are we doing about the festival next week yeah. what you know what sort of camping are we doing are we going to get separate tents what, 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 yeah. and if there's a really long silence for 30 seconds with um you know <laughs> oh, those little dots yes. just going for, yeah. a, dot, for dot, ages dot. and ages then you'll know that something is afoot but i think what's happened here is you have just got yourself in a lava about nothing yeah Um, I mean that in a nice way, Lydia, because we all have these things, but we must drown out those voices that tell us that somebody doesn't like us or feeling paranoid about this, that and the other, because it's just a pointless waste of time. Yes, and also sometimes, and I've seen this, groups of friends, it becomes kind of toxic where everyone's got to do everything together. If you want to go to Glasgow... Go to Glasgow. Go see whichever creature lives in Glasgow and have a nice time. Don't worry about Sylvia, who's swanning around Philippa. London. It's Philippa it's in Glasgow. Philippa. Okay, yeah, great, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, Philippa in Glasgow. But it does seem to me that they only ever meet when there's all four of them. Yeah, which but is that, stupid. Yeah, that doesn't have to happen. You yeah, can meet you're in, not children anymore. You can anymore. meet in twos and threes, but yeah. meeting in a three, you are leaving one person out. <laughs> and it's Lydia. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, next time you meet in a three, leave Sylvia out. <laughs> no, no, just forget about yes. this and just get on with life like a normal person. Yes, you're not children. It's not about play dates. You can you can just see who you like. Uh, <laughs> and, and don't let this friendship group become a kind of tyranny where you've all got to do everything together. And I have seen that happen. And it's it's so 
it, as people get older, it becomes stranger yeah. and stranger. Yeah. And then it's about holidays and kids. By the way, did you get that message kids. from Whitney about us all going for dinner? <laughs> yes, I did, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> I told you not to send it to you. <laughs> Abby from Cambridgeshire. Lydia, just speak to your friend in Glasgow about the festival and how much we're looking forward to meeting up next year. I mean, that's then just go. It's a festival. Just go. I think Sylvia is distancing herself from Lydia. This is Alex in Wells. Feels like there is a cooling, which happens in long-term friendships. I like it, a cooling. <laughs> what is this? A cooling. We are having a cooling. Just ignore it and give Sylvia some distance. Chat to the others about the festivals and let it blow over. Wise words, Alex. Oh, Paul, regular correspondent from Peckham. Uh, how many other trips have the gang been on without inviting Lydia? Maybe Lydia should chill out and stop being so controlling. All right, Paul, a.k.a. Sylvia. Uh... <laughs> oh, now, Lara in Whitechapel. I have been in this situation many times, and I must say it's generally one that's created in my mind. I assume because I've said something, it's hard to understand context and tone in messages and this causes a multitude of problems. Suggest to meet up with Sylvia, have a coffee and you'll see that nothing's changed. She might be feeling a bit awkward herself about the exchange that went down and is treading lightly. Trust me, it will blow over and you'll all have an amazing time at the festival next year. Well said, Lauren Whitechapel. You know what? Cheers to you. You can have a bottle of white burgundy courtesy of waitress. That's how much I like your cheerful, positive attitude to Essentially a non-problem. Um, <laughs> no, you like the woman in East Sussex. I mean, that was a problem. Yeah, you're fine. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. It's time for my first guest of the day. Robert Galbraith returns with The Ink Black Heart, a new strike novel. Uh, J.K. Rowling joins us now. Hello, Joe. Hello, how are you? I'm really well. So... Uh, it strikes me, strikes, <laughs> how funny, that, uh, you know, this book, obviously there are lots of fans, Corman Strike fans out there, much anticipated, but they're not queuing up at midnight for the new Corman Strike novel. No. Uh, do you miss that kind of feeding frenzy and madness no. and delirium, or is this more manageable? <laughs> it's... Um, I don't mean this in any ungrateful sense because it, it obviously it was wonderful what happened with Potter, but it was quite overwhelming at times. And crime fans are a more, <laughs> a less... Um, they like their sleep. Yeah, they like their sleep, exactly. That's, that's, a, that's a good way of putting it, yeah. And, and I empathise. <laughs> so uh, when we last... When did I talk to you? Was it the last book? Was it um, Trouble of Blood or Lethal White? I think it was Lethal White. And... I was saying to you then you had all these books planned in your head. Yes. And that they're all living there. Yeah. So this one is 2015, and there's a particular reason why you chose that year. Yeah. Um, but it suddenly struck me, kind of like, oh, oh no, they're going to hit COVID. So well. have you got <laughs> have you got your, your Cormorant's Right COVID novel planned? You are so right, because that obviously pre presents a challenge to a private investigator. So I don't know whether we're going to reach COVID. Oh. <laughs> I think I've got... At the moment, I, I've definitely got 10 books in my head. And, I mean, not in addition to what I've already done, 10 books total on the, Galbraith, <laughs> on the Galbraith series. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I can think of one way we could do an investigation during COVID, but I, it wouldn't. 
it, it would be tricky, yeah. And the, the sexual, the sexual the, tension, the sexual uh, tension. between yes. Cormoran and Robin yes. is is thick with this book. It is, uh, yes. So indeed. presumably you've got that all planned in well, your head. Well, that's one of the reasons I, I need to plot what happens during their relationship. I need I just need to keep an eye on that above, um, you know, because that's the only linking theme between the books. Obviously, each book is a very different case, yeah. but their relationship is the thread through all the, through the whole series. I had someone on Twitter said to me the other day, I don't bother with the clues, I'm just reading it for Strike and Robin's relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to wonder whether I shouldn't just have written, you know, a romance. A lovely and, romance. And not, bo- not, bo- not bothered with the plotting of the, of the crime. Yeah. And, and this isn't a, a criticism, I don't want you to defend it, but you know, but certain genres have certain expectations. Yeah, so absolutely. there's those big international thrillers that are set in like Saudi Arabia, Washington, London, yeah. da da da, and they're big like this book. Yeah. But crime fiction tends not to be. Yeah. What What is it in your head that makes them this big? Why you know what I mean? It needs to be that big, yeah. Graham. It just does. That's that's that was the story, and obviously you are following. I like. I suppose I'm writing what I like. I like a bit of depth in characterization, and I like one one thing with the golden age novels. And I th- I feel as though I'm writing a golden age novel in a in the modern age. Um, you you did have a little bit more space often to explore character, and a bad who done it for me is one where you can absolutely tell who the killer is because they're the only one that the author has, has managed to <laughs> to make in any way three dimensional or interesting yeah. and everyone else feels a bit like a cardboard cut out yeah. they've got thin lips and cruel eyes <laughs> exactly <laughs> steely grey eyes normally yeah uh, so uh, what can you tell us about uh, the plot how are you what's your sort of pitch your elevator pitch for this novel um Basically, we are dealing with an anonymous person online who who purports to be a fan of a cartoon, um, but has has turned on the creator and appears to know a lot about them personally. So the creator comes to the agency saying, please, can you find out who this person really is? It has to be someone who knows me. And that's the start of the plot, the detective plot. Yeah. And reading it, I couldn't help but, you know, there are echoes of your life. Yeah, more because... echoes than I realised because I I should make it really clear after some of the things that have happened to me online in the last year that this is not depicting... I, I'd written the book before certain things happened to me online. So uh, I, I said to my husband, um, I I think everyone's going to see this as a response to what happened to me, but it genuinely wasn't. I, you know, the book was... The first draft of the book was finished at the point where certain things happen to me. I'm being very mysterious. People, I'm just talking about um, online threats and so yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. But where the echoes are concerned, that the fandom uh, within the Ink Black Heart is absolutely not the pot of fandom. What happened was I said to my... I had this, this idea for the plot, so it was about three years ago now, and I said to my two teenagers, who do you think is the most toxic fandom? And to my amazement, they mentioned a certain cartoon... Um, which I'd seen and thought was very witty and funny. I can't say what the cartoon is. Let's press on quickly and you tell me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I thought, what, that cartoon? Are you serious? And then I went online and looked and I thought, 
Oh, they're absolutely right. So that's why it's an animator in the book. Originally, I thought I might make it a comic strip writer, but it's an animator in homage to this particularly toxic fan. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. I was in New York during the... Uh, just after lockdown. Yeah. And, you know, lots of shops shut and, you know, there weren't many people around. And I was just below the flat iron and there was a big, big crowd. And I thought, oh, what's that? And it was the biggest Harry Potter shop. I, oh, I know I, that one. It's I huge. bet you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you well, drive by going, mm. No, no, Graham. I drive by sort of crouching down in my seat. Um, yeah. I, I, I was once in a, a shop in London with my son. He was a little bit younger then. And we took a wrong turn in the toy department and we ended up in the Harry Potter merchandise. And I was trapped because there was this big group of uh, American young people behind me and a ton of people ahead. And I sort of dragged David behind a bookshelf and I said, but we'll just wait here a moment, we'll just wait here. And he looked up at me and said, how much money would you want for me not to shout, she's here! <laughs> <laughs> um, no, because I often say, you know, everyone wants to be successful, but nobody wants to be Adele. I mean... <laughs> oh, I love Adele. No, I, I mean, that's I know all what, of Adele, I know but you know what, what I mean. I do completely know what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've got to keep a, a sense of humour about it. Yeah, because yeah. can you, you know, can you go out and about? Can yeah, you have I a do. life? I can go out and about, um, but I don't hang around um, Harry Potter merchandise stores, which would be which would be a little self-destructive, yeah. I think. Yeah. And when they did the, the Harry Potter reunion and you were kind of excluded, I mean, that must well, have I, been... Well, I wasn't Or did you exclude no, yourself? Uh, yeah, I, I, I was asked to be on that. Okay. Yeah, and I decided I, I didn't want to do it. I thought it was about the films more than the books, you know? Quite rightly. I mean, that was what the anniversary was about. So, yeah, that wasn't... No one said don't. In fact, I was asked to do it, oh, okay, and I decided good. not to. Yeah. And have you have you still got a relationship with the young actors? You know, some of them have spoken out about you. And da-da. do you still have a dialogue with them? I I have. Um, yes, I do. I mean, some more than others, but that was always the case. You know, some I knew better than others. So, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. it is that. It, I do. That's like you know. Because you know you're talking about the the threats online. We were talking about that during the during the record and stuff. And how do we get back to a? How can we de-escalate all of the the things that are are going on? How can is there a way that you, as this very kind of visible vocal person, can de-escalate the conversation? Um, I think on one level, I'm not sure I can. I'm not sure any individual can. I mean, I try and behave online as I would like others to behave I wouldn't you know ever want to um I've never threatened anyone obviously and I certainly wouldn't want anyone to go to their houses or anything like that social media is definitely it's simultaneous it can be a lot of fun and I I do like the sort of pub argument aspect of it. it you know that can be a fun thing to do but there's no doubt that social media is a gift for people who want to yeah. um, you are, you behave are such, in a, a malign way. You are such a different creature to me. I, <laughs> I open the door to Twitter, I see a pub brawl going on 24-7 and just shut the door. Well, I, I did actually take, I did actually take, I think, a whole year off Twitter, um, or quite a long time. And then when COVID happened, oh. I, yeah, I, well, I went, no, it's, I actually didn't go back on it for the pub brawl stuff, I went back on it because I wanted to do the Ichabog. 
and I wanted to, so that was a children's book for oh, people with, who yeah, don't with know. The, the contest right. for the drawings, And yeah. so I wanted to put it out for free and I wanted to do, uh, and Twitter was a, was a really good, so I went back on with the intention of doing the Ichabog. And then I sort of have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it now. I can happily go for a few days without get, getting into a pub brawl or... Because I, it struck me reading the book that, of course, you know, it must have been so weird because there's that bit of your life and then your books, you would have thought, would be an escape from that bit of your life. But this book... No, it delves, delves, it delves into it. Well, it, do you know, I wanted to... Because the last book, Troubled Blood, was a cold case and it was a very, very sort of traditional interviewing old people in their front rooms about what they remember about the disappeared woman. And so I wanted to do something very different. I wanted to go into a completely different world of now. And it was a fun way to explore it, actually, because Strike is, is, is older and he's not the kind of person who would be on Twitter or ever have any interest really in yeah. being on Twitter. So he's, you know, he's in a, a world that he's not familiar with. Robin being 10 years younger is much more familiar with online worlds and understands them a bit more. And it's interesting, she's no longer a sidekick. I mean, she no, is, this is almost a Robin book, really, more than a, a uh, Cormac Strike book. I think it's, um, yeah, that's interesting you say that. It's definitely 50-50 now. Um, I always planned that she would become a full partner and it's been fun, you know, having her learn and make mistakes and now really is as good as he is. Yeah. And very quickly, uh, on telly, Troubled Blood, that's happening soon, I think. It is, yes. I think it's out before Christmas, which will be fun. And I think I genuinely think people will love it. I think it's the best one so far. I have to say, Tom Burke and Holiday Granger, they have done you so many favours. Oh, you're not wrong there. They are just, they are fantastic people. Two of the just nicest, most unpretentious and yet gifted actors you, you're ever going to meet. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. The show's the show's been done so well, I think it's done the books a lot of favours, yeah. And are you able to do book events now? Are you able to go out and do things? Yeah, I am. I mean, I've, I've, um, I really enjoy doing book festivals and so on. I think COVID just put such a spanner in the works that yeah. everyone's slightly forgotten how to <laughs> how to go on stage. But I did do uh, I did an event for The Christmas Pig, which was out um, obviously quite recently, my, my children's book, and that was so much fun. I loved it. I forgot, actually, how much I love talking to kids. It, it was, um, yeah, it was a beautiful event. I loved it. And so will you do events with the uh, Ink Black Heart? Um, possibly, yeah. Uh, there's nothing planned at the moment, but I might do, yeah. Well, it's selling a hotcakes, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to. No. Uh, well, listen, you didn't need to do this. So, uh, J.K. No, Rowling, thank you very enjoy. much for coming in to see us. Um, thank you very much and good luck. The Ink Black Heart is out in hardback now and you can pre-order it at robertgalbraith.com. Calm. Thanks, Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Mark Feely. Hello. Hi there, Graham. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, so, uh, Westlife Begone, hello, West End. But how is this your West End debut? Because you, you seem like a, a such an obvious person to put in a musical. Um, I suppose having the time to do it. And also, like, for me, I sort of... I kind of patiently waited for the right opportunity, you know, because um, I suppose it's the first time, literally, I'm doing it. And... Um, there's been a couple of lovely offers, but I feel like I sort of waited for this, which was more of a challenge, you know, uh, something yeah. where I had to go, God, am I going to be able to do that? Or I'm going to get my head down and get stuck into the work of it, which I really have. And um, I'm a bit like, oh, wow, I really did throw myself in the deep end because this and is also, a beautiful... Yeah. And it's, it's not like stunt casting. It's not like they just threw you into Chicago for four weeks, <laughs> yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Well, yeah. that'd, that'd be an interesting TV show. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, so first of all, like on the side, I kind of have been, and I've been speaking to some of the the 
cast who are just out of music theatre college um, you know and I think it's around an average of a three year thing that, they're, that they yeah. do a course yeah. um, and I think for the last five years I've been sort of doing sort of work vocally like I, I always was very against vocal coaches and stuff until more recently and I've realised that actually if you find the right one which thankfully I have they don't try to change your voice they just help you to use your voice more efficiently you know and um, and I've so, extend its shelf life well, vo- vocally, <laughs> vocally anyway. Um, don't know about my career, but, um, but yeah, vocally. I mean, the vocal coach I have, who is just amazing, Sam. He he's taught me how to get through one concert, or even you know, in in the West End, it's eight shows a week sometimes, and you can you can sing in the same way, but not completely destroy your instrument, you know. Um, and it's just all about technique, really. And it's fascinating. He's very scientific about it, which I yeah. adore. Well, listen, we should tell people what the show is. It is The yes. Secret Garden. It's tomorrow night in the London Palladium. It's just a one... This is a one night... It's a, is it stage or is it just an in-concert performance? Um, so it is mostly in-concert. There's a little bit of stage and certainly a little bit of movement. Um, so it's not completely static. Um, but it's not a full production. So effectively, we are not just standing there, um, <laughs> but we're not doing quite as much movement as we might do should it have been a full production. Um, yeah, but it, so it's the Secret Garden. It's a it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. Even my niece, uh, Millie, who is nine, knows the book. A lot of children know the book, The Secret yes. Garden. And so, but the thing about it is, and I mentioned throwing myself in the deep end, is that this is like a really serious kind of musical theatre piece. And I've been in rehearsals all week with the most amazing cast. And I'm just sitting back on, you know, like even a tiny bit of like imposter syndrome seeking in where I'm like, <laughs> what have I let myself in for? Um, but, you know, I, I mean, they're also so friendly and so supportive and they know that it's my first in many ways. And um, they've just been so helpful. So I couldn't have asked for a better cast to be in it with. Now, in my head... Uh, secret garden there's a little girl I know there's a robin and there's a very old gardener Uh, but you are none of those people no so I played Dr Neville Craven who ah yeah, you remember <laughs> Neville. Um, so he's sort of—I um, mean, effectively—he is a villain. He's a sinister character with, within the plot. He—he's kind of um, his brother Archibald runs and is the lord of the manor, um, and but is not well. Is depressed and is sort of um, ill and has some physical challenges as well. And so Archibald, or sorry, Neville, my character, sort of runs the whole manor and. Um, this girl, Mary, turns up um, from India um, because everybody had passed away from cholera. This is going back to like 1906. I love, I love oh, like, children fiction can be so dark. dark. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everybody died and Mary's talking to her Robin. Um, but, you know, she arrives and basically from my character, she's a big problem. And so effectively he kind of spends the whole show trying to get rid of her. Um, and, you know, there's even some very... Um, aggressive scenes that I have to play like an act out with this beautiful girl Darcy who's playing Mary and um, it gets you know nearly gets aggressive at one point and so it's been no. very interesting to have an argument with you know such a young beautiful little lady um, and a uh, real, Is she a real child if you know what I mean or are adults playing children? Um, well she's I mean I'm not quite sure of her exact age but she's she's. Um, like would you card her if she was buying wine? She'd be Oh yeah, she definitely she's okay, definitely yeah. a, okay. a kid. But she's do you know what? I mean, actually on that note, I was watching Darcy and Isaac who's the plays Colin, the other kid in the show. Yeah. 
and I'm just sitting back on. I mean, they've got the abilities and the experience of adults. I mean, they're they're doing it like absolute pros. There's no difference. It's not like oh, that's cute, you know, the kids singing or whatever. Yeah, well yeah, done. Yeah. It's actually like, oh my god, your your voice is just as good as all of ours are and are, are of the adults, you know. And listen, we've got a little clip to give us a taste of what to expect in the Secret Garden. Here it is. I mean, I wish there were more people here to clap. Oh, that sounds amazing. Is that um, that's you and Hadley Fraser? Is it? Yeah. So that's me and the wonderful Hadley Fraser. Who I have to say, once again, this is a first for me. And so to get to stand in front of like literally a master of the art, and to kind of stand a couple of feet away, and just like I'm, I'm like whatever happens with the show, I've learned so much from just watching him do his thing, you know. And Emma Williams as well, who's another amazing singer. Um, she's she, and performer, actor, she um, has been very helpful for me behind the scenes. I'm meeting her later to go, to go through my lines. From but that's, the a, last that's time. a big thing. Yeah, it really is, you know, and as I say, I wanted to set myself a challenge vocally and this this has certainly been a challenge and I've been doing a lot of work vocally in the sort of line of theatre with my voice and um, it is a challenge and it's not easy and um, I, I kind of like being in that slightly uncomfortable place almost you know yeah. that's kind of exciting you know if, if it was all easy and straightforward and predictable um, I, I don't think I'd enjoy it as much you know The good fear The good fear Yes <laughs> uh, but Tell me this uh, is the plan that you know tomorrow night the audience is on its feet possibly booing you oh. uh, only because you're a villain obviously hopefully, you're, you're hopefully. very very good but yeah. a villain we need to boo you but that, the, the crowd go wild Will so, is the idea that it will then be a full production and and be a tour or in the West End or whatever? Um, well, I mean, Jamie, the producer, would be the guy to answer that. I, I would hope that this show um, is seen more because I, I kind of feel like it would be horrible to have done all this work. I mean, we've done, we done a first time yesterday with the orchestra and I mean, it's just a mind-blowing show. It's so beautiful. So... I would love for more people to see it, but who knows, you know, we're all kind of, I'm certainly just focused on getting through tomorrow night for now, so. Well, if the Twitter love for you this morning is anything to go by, uh, I, I I think it, it might do well. well I think let's it might let's do hope well. so. Yeah. I, I think people are going to enjoy the show regardless of whether they enjoy my part. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Mark Fihili of Westlife is with me now. He is appearing in the West End tomorrow night in a stage uh, concert version of the Secret Garden at the Palladium. Uh, of course, Secret Garden. We did it. At, we did a, a thing at drama school, and it was all kind of you know, right gradely and blah 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 because it's all very Yorkshire. Yes. Are you giving us are your Yorkshire accent? Or? <laughs> so accent wise, actually, there was discussions, but because <laughs> because they're in a manner and because they're sort of more upper class, um, they wouldn't sort of have the. The proper no. but, but a lot They'd of probably the characters... be Irish, wouldn't they? They'd probably come from uh, <laughs> probably come from Sligo. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about, Archie? Um, but <laughs> um, some like there's quite a divide, obviously, as it would have been in the time where the staff and and the characters that sort of work around the gardens and stuff are very Yorkshire. Yeah. Um, and then the people in the house are are sort of more RP and sort of like okay generic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and listen, uh, a lot of Westlife love in the world and Westlife are coming back to the UK is it next no November yeah absolutely so we've just done the most amazing and most enjoyable uh, summer shows uh, really the pinnacle of that was Wembley Stadium a few weeks ago which honestly was 
one of the best moments of our career, you know. Um, and we are going to Asia at the end of September for some gigs out there, which is really cool. And then we come back and we go into arenas for November and December all over the UK and Ireland. So we get to do it all over again in a slightly different way as well. And we've got some very exciting news about those shows there's going to be something slightly different about those shows um, uh, that, that we'll be announcing very soon oh no no oh would you not give it an exclusive there Mark <laughs> to be honest I don't know what the difference is <laughs> or I would tell you <laughs> we're still working on that <laughs> yeah there, it's a different sort of indoor fireworks it's going to be uh, amazing yeah new stools new stools <laughs> um, and that is it is fantastic isn't it that that love for Westlife you know it's not just nostalgia it's real it's happening now Really, yeah. And, you know, the, the beauty for me is there, there would have been a time where me sort of going off and doing the Secret Garden, for instance, you know, there was a time where we were all a bit more jumpy and I suppose, I don't know, Im- immature maybe about like the idea of someone in a band doing something else. Oh, they're going solo and stuff. But the beauty is that we all do little bits and pieces ourselves as well. And it's a beautiful sort of mature 40 something version of Westlife <laughs> that sort of allows ourselves to have families and family time. And, you know, we, we've we been doing gigs nearly every weekend all summer, but we have been able to go home to our families during the weekend. Yeah. So it's a nice balance, you know. And of course, I, how remiss of me. I didn't say congratulations. You are a daddy. Thank you very much. Yes, I can't wait. I've been away from Layla now for like since since the weekend and honestly one day is enough for me I just can't wait to get back and see her you know but sleeping must be quite nice yeah that's not too bad do you know she's actually a really good sleeper and um, she's she's nearly three now so she's sort oh, of past okay, the kind of past cr- that, yeah. sleepless nights but um, she's video phone she's just like yeah whatever she doesn't like she's not like all interacting <laughs> with me on the video phone so it's just like when I'm away she just kind of looks at me and then when I come home, she does give me a bit of shade for about an hour before she gives me a hug as well. <laughs> so. uh, would she come and see the show? No, she's too young. She is too young just yet, but she's on the verge. Of, um, see, the thing is, like, because of lockdown, she sort of spent all the time with just me and Caitlin in the house. So I think we need to, like, bring her to, like, the cinema or something first before we bring her to the stadium. <laughs> um, but I do intend by the end of this Westlife tour to have her at the gigs, you know. I think I brought her to a couple of sound checks, which obviously there's no audience and the lights aren't as kind of blinding and everything. Um, so I'm just working her in because if you can imagine being a baby and I'm just being brought into like 60,000 stadium and there's fireworks and loud music and you should be in bed I mean it, it just all would be too much you know but she's on the verge of of seeing what it's all about yeah but who was it was I think it was Pink was it Pink brought her daughter to the sound checks and right. then they went to see a Beyonce concert and uh, like the daughter was like this is really embarrassing when we no one comes to your concerts <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Why, so, can't, why am I not allowed up on the stage? So she may, so she may, she may think that. <laughs> like, yeah. No one goes to see Westlife. Cringe, Daddy. Cringe. <laughs> Give it up. <laughs> um, and and there's a new album coming. Um, no, I'm lying. No, there no. was a new album. There was a new album. Yes. So we had the Wild Dreams album, which this tour is named after, um, which we. Released the last... Did we release it last year? I'm sorry. Post, post, last, last October. October last October, you. yes, yes, yes. Um, no, but it, um, we we had a lot of fun making that because we made it through, through lockdown. Um, so there was... I mean, we actually wrote a lot of the album ourselves and there was a lot of Zoom sessions and uh, we even recorded vocals over... Well, not Zoom, but, you know, over uh, remotely. And so it was... I mean, it was fun. It was interesting. Yeah. It was the first time we'd done that. And when Westlife broke up, did you always know... Not broke up, but when you decided to kind of stop... Did you always know we'd come back, or was there something that was there something like Louis Walsh going? Hurry <laughs> <laughs> the f up! Um, no, to be honest with you, like we left it, and to be like honestly, the truth is, like when we broke up, the only option was to break up because if we didn't break up, we would have said 
we're breaking up or we would have said we're, we're taking a break or we're not doing any gigs for the foreseeable future and then we would have just got hammered by everybody around us to do gigs like you know yeah. probably including Louis and the record label and everybody <laughs> like that so we had to really put a full stop on it so that people would literally stop calling us to, you know uh, to, and, and they did still keep calling us even after we split up believe it or not um, but yeah so we didn't know um, but I suppose something in all of us knew at some point like you know because we it wasn't like we were like I never want to see those guys again yeah. you know um, it was more that we needed to go off and grow up and and do a bit of living, you know. Yeah, and it must be so. Like, it's, like you say, coming back, being kind of mature men, you know, fathers and and everything, just must be kind of a much different experience. Yeah, I think a lot of stuff was reset. You know, like I was just explaining this actually to a taxi driver yesterday, um, <laughs> how for so many years I just didn't know how to say no, and it was kind of trained into you. And so it wasn't until we kind of went off and split up and went off into the kind of I suppose real world for the first time since we were 16 years old um, and then we come back and it's actually like well you know we need a balance here like we all literally had kids so we actually were forced not forced but we had to go home we couldn't go to Asia for three months like we would have before and not seen our families yeah. um, and so well I think having kids and families actually brings a nice balance to life in, yeah. in that sense you know well, listen, we're out of time, but let's just remind everybody that you are making your West End debut in the Secret Garden in concert tomorrow night at the London Palladium. Few tickets still available at ticketmaster.co.uk. I hope it goes really, really well. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, thanks to everyone who's coming in advance. It's going to be a fun night. All right. Thanks for coming in to see Thank us. You. Cheers, Mark. Still to come, we'll be finding out what Martha's been up to in the Virgin Radio kitchen. And we'll have another go at Guess the Guest. But first, Emma Forrest brings us tales from her latest memoir, Busy Being Free. I'm joined now by my guest. Uh, I'm not sure. At 16, maybe you're too old to be a child prodigy, but there's still something very impressive about leaving school at 16 and having a newspaper column. Since then, she's gone on and written novels and memoirs and films, and now she's got another uh, memoir. It's called Busy Being Free. Her name is Emma Forrest, and she joins me now. Hello. Hello. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday to you. Not quite a child prodigy. Uh, which you know what in my 40s looking back I think I was <laughs> well, and, and what's amazing because even in, in you've written about it before but in Busy Being Free yeah. you talk about some of it as well and, and yeah. being that age in yeah. London and yeah. the weird people you were meeting yeah. and da 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 yeah. I mean as a mother now you must look back and kind of throw okay who let that happen uh, I think I was just so forceful and um, it was exciting to have a job offer without going to, I didn't go to I didn't finish school. I left when I, I was fifteen. I mean, and also, it's not like you went to work on the tills and waitrose or something. Yeah. You, 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 you. People were telling you you are amazing. You are brilliant. They were paying attention to you. And right, and I also just got it in my head that if you go to university and you know you want to be a writer, there's the possibility that you might get your voice knocked out of you. You know, and that I should just get straight into it. I think. Wow. Yeah. And listen, it's worked. In its way, yeah, you know, positives and negatives, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But you are a very good writer, and Thank it's, you, you know, so you got there. And yeah. 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 And this is, am I right, this is your third memoir? It's my second memoir. The last one was 10 years ago. I think it probably one a decade is a good ratio. Okay. <laughs> and is it a bit like, because this one's quite recent. This yeah. is all recent, the end of your marriage, yeah. up yeah. until kind of, you know, not that long ago. Yeah. Um, because did you know this is quite an interesting bit of my life this is probably going to be a book 
Um, it is nice when your life breaks down in three act structure, I can say, <laughs> having written movies. Um, but also what was really conducive to writing right now was a lockdown inside a lockdown. And by that, I mean the crux of the book is that I took a voluntary vow of celibacy for the term of Trump's presidency. I was living in America. He was elected the week I filed for divorce. So they became very intertwined mm -hmm. in my head. Um, and also the idea that sort of the worst man alive was the most powerful man alive made me want to stay away from men full stop. But then moving back to London, going into a lockdown while I was for the first time since I was a teenager celibate, just felt like um, a Russian dolls of, of uh, a really nice kind of quiet. But also, I suppose, it, did it take, did it make you feel less special? Could you think, no, wait, I'm being celibate. You can't make me be, you can't lock me in a room and make me be celibate. Oh, you know what? It definitely um, was something to go from the amount of space I had in California to come back to London and be in a small space without a garden, without outdoor space. And, and I ended up, I think, retreating almost like a little kid into my imagination and my memory. So it was as hard of, of a time as it was for so many people. It was a terrible time. As a creative, it was a good time, I have to admit. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've got a lot done. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and you say busy being free. Yeah. Uh, but that's really only free from men. Everything else was, you still had a child, you still had to make money, you had all those other things. Yeah, but the interesting thing is, I think that the um, cliche or myth or archetype that women coming into their 40s are coming into their sexual power is true. So I had all this power and if I wasn't putting it into relationships, it alchemized. And, uh, and I felt like I did the best and easiest writing of my life, um, I felt like uh, often I call it snowflake ideas where you have a brilliant idea, you see it in your hand, it's a beautiful shape and then it melts. If you're if you're a writer, you know this. And without sex in my life, there was just much greater clarity of thinking that hasn't ever really gone away. But it can't have been that great because you've now started having sex again. <laughs> yeah, because I made a vow that when Trump was gone. <laughs> It, I, I made a vow. And, I have to have and, sex. And, and Graham, it coincided with the storming of the Capitol. So that's kind of perfect, right? Oh, my right? goodness. Yeah. Talk about three-act structure. <laughs> that's quite the montage. Thank you. Cutting between the Capitol and yeah. your bedroom. That's how I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Emma Forrest, Busy Being Free, is her memoir of basically... Her, her finishing her romantic life, divorcing, and then taking this vow of celibacy. But there were men in your life during that time. Uh, Jamie Dornan makes a feature, makes an appearance. Oh, right, yes, I directed Jamie in a movie in LA called Untogether, and um, I adore him. And one of my favourite memories from making that movie is I had discussed with him that we needed the world's most awkward song to make love to for a comedic set because he was so famous from 50 shades i wanted to give him a ridiculous sex scene just something absurd <laughs> so sat brainstorming and ultimately fixated on money for nothing by dire straits <laughs> and i wrote mark knopfler a letter to get clearance thinking he's going to find this hilarious like he's just going to be delighted by this and got a letter back from the lawyer saying under no circumstances whatsoever <laughs> so then we talked jamie and i talked again and what we came up with is a very difficult song to make love to 
was Shiny Happy People by R.E.M. <laughs> and that's what made it into the movie because when we sent Michael Stipe a letter, he found it hilarious. Yay! Yay. <laughs> we like Michael Stipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And you, you talk in the movie, and I don't think people think about this because, yeah. you know, obviously people have talked to Emma Forrest and you've written your movie and now I'm directing it and yeah. I've got amazing people in it. Yeah, I'm yeah. in L.A., da-da-da. Yeah. And people are like, oh, smell her. They <laughs> say, well... But and it got into the Tribeca Film Festival. Yeah. And then what? Oh my gosh. Well, it, it's so hard to get an independent film financed that you don't ever stop and think it might never come out. So the only way to see this film is on Amazon or iTunes because um the people who financed it, who were sort of independent film since the quote unquote death of Harvey Weinstein is kind of a wild west filled by like orthodontists who want to meet Jamie Dornan and stuff like yeah. that. So they were just convinced that it would sell for a trillion dollars and when it sold for the reasonable amount you expect for a ensemble drama, they decided to self-release and that was just a very painful time as a creator, as an artist, when you make something and they sit on it, you just, you don't know what to do with that energy because you sound like a fantasist you're like i made a movie and they're like can we see and we're like i sure hope so you know yes it can be seen and i get nice letters about it from people who find it but it definitely wasn't and what was was it a tax write-off for the orthodontist or? no, I, mean, I would prefer not to speak to them and find out but potentially i'm not sure i mean that is because remember the most um profitable independent film of all time is Deep Throat, which was financed by the Mafia. So who knows the world of indies? Yes, yeah. really? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll get people back into the cinemas. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and are you working on movies now? Are you back on a novel? Jag? Where are you in your life? Yes, I am actually adapting um, this memoir as a TV series. Um, and... Uh, the smart idea of the producer is that you get a cake and eat it of every episode having the me character in the present, in the celibacy, but also every episode having a flashback to one lover who brought her there. Because that was the funny thing about the lockdown is I really could, I don't know if you relate to this, think back and almost feel every experience I'd ever had with every partner with every every bad experience every good one like you really sort of got to marinate in those feelings whether you liked it or not and actually you talk in the book about how when lockdown happened all your senses were kind of yeah but remember the strange thing about how brightly the bird song sounded and because there were no cars it was just it really felt like a wormhole in time didn't it i mean well it was, it was... weird because I, I live by the river here and oh, wow. uh, no boats yeah not a single boat and yeah. you didn't notice for it was a couple of days yeah. and you kind of thought, what is different about this yeah, and you yeah. went, oh yeah there isn't a single boat do you feel like you got good writing done during that time no no no, no. well done oh, no. i got a lot of reading done. Yeah. yeah well that's good too yeah uh it took me a, a, it took me a little it took me a couple of weeks to for my head to settle and then i just got loads of reading done because that's the thing is we're not just looking for the next great writers we're looking for the next great readers because i feel like in the age of social media people have sort of forgotten a lot of the time how to experience the world as someone else yes you know I, mean? I mean i think so what's interesting about the world of books is it's not going it. You kind of think yeah. surely technology would have killed Murdered a this. big a big yeah. stormtrooper yeah. boot yeah. would have yeah. crushed yeah. Yeah. books. Yeah. But they're still so loved and so yeah. such great big business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's why my ex-husband, who I gave the book to read before it went to press, and said, "Are you was that for legal reasons?" <laughs> well, it probably would have been for legal reasons, but also it mattered to me. Um, 
you know, is so reverential about books that he just said to me, do you feel like this moves the ball along in terms of memoir? And I said, I hope so. And he's like, then publish it. And oh, I always think there's something odd too when someone is a, a parent yeah. because you're not just writing the book for yourself. You're not just writing with it for readers. Yeah. You, you Somewhere in the back of your mind, you're thinking, that kid is going to get older. And if, yeah. they're, if they're curious, they yeah. will dust this book off. But she kind of comes off, like, she's not in it that much. She kind of comes off as a rock star. That My favourite part is when she spider senses that I'm dating again and I'm getting ready to go out. And as I get to the door, she looks at me and says, you smell terrible, you look disgusting. And all the children at school laugh at your books. <laughs> and I was very touched that she understood that my writing means so much to me. <laughs> yes, I can see those buttons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going yeah, to press yeah. them. Uh, if you fancy more of Emma Forrest's life, Busy Being Free is out in hardback now. Uh, Emma, thank you so much for thank coming to for see us. Me. And good luck with everything. And uh, where uh, do you know where the, the TV show might be? I is... do, but I'm not allowed to tell you yet. They have to announce it themselves. All right, whatever. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to play the Amazons. I don't okay. know if okay. that's linked. <laughs> uh, how will I know? Uh, that was Emma Forrest. Busy Being Free is the name of the book. You join me while I'm chatting to... Ma. Martha. Yes, at great expense. Uh, that's your new jingle, Martha. <laughs> I love it. Okay, let's try it again. Martha. <laughs> I like the, the two dings, like I'm a checkout challenge. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, I, I think Virgin haven't thrown all the money at it, but, uh, yeah. Modest. Yeah, they've saved I'll some for the Christmas party. Uh, but, you know, there you go. Uh, right, I've been looking forward to this all day. What you made? So, I've got a lovely noodle dish for you today. This is some gochujang and peanut butter udon noodles with mm. peas, greens and a six-minute egg. OK, let's start with gochujang. <laughs> Yeah, that was perfect pronunciation, I believe. Oh, wow. I think uh, so. Well, if you... I mean, well, <laughs> this is the two of us. <laughs> going, I'm no Yeah, expert. that's how you say it. People, people listening to the wireless are like, that really isn't how you say it. Uh, but we believe it is. Uh, what is it? It is a fermented red pepper paste. So quite spicy, but a nice kind of sweet and salty, a little kind of bit like kimchi, if you like kimchi. Okay. And also, presumably, it's one of those pastes that does a lot of work. Oh, like it does Like harissa or something, you know, like, where you're not blending, you're not putting loads of different things in, you're just like that, you're done. Yeah, this carries, it brings the heat, it brings the sweetness, it, yeah, it carries a lot of different purpose in the dish, and it adds a lovely kind of vibrant red colour. It's brilliant in loads of dishes, this, this little paste, if you pick yourself up some. And uh, this is uh, by my favourite drag queen, Ellie Pear. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I made you a noodle recipe for, by Ellie Pear last year and you loved it. I did. So I'm really hoping that you also enjoy this well, one. Well, I was complaining earlier. I, I, I made a formal complaint on the airwaves to Waitrose <laughs> that that recipe is not on our hub. Oh, that is outrageous. That's the, your favourite one. The one with the braised tofu. Yeah, and hoisin sauce, Yes, that's tofu. the one. Mm. Yeah, now I know. But <laughs> I, it took me a long time to find it. Uh, now, so this is, this. presumably this is quite a quick and easy uh, thing to throw together. Yeah, super quick. Yeah, and uh, so it's kind of a midweek dinner or that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's easy to cook something like this for a few people. I did it for dinner last night for myself and a friend for three people. And it was it was still doable, but it was a bit more like everything. New. You need to serve it 
piping hot. You don't want it to be kind of congealing in your pan, so you have to quickly get the bowls out, get the bowls out, the egg's coming, the toppings are coming. Oh, right. So two people is the ideal, I would say, for a dish like this one. So what you're saying is, uh, I shouldn't have been talking for so long because <laughs> it's now gone cold. Well... <laughs> what you're saying well, is, it's going to be disgusting. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see what you think. Mmm, <laughs> I look forward to some congealed, lukewarm <laughs> gujong and peanut butter udon noodles with peas, greens and a six-minute egg. We will find out how it tasted and how to make it, more importantly. You'll be la- happy to hear I'm not going to slurp a noodle on air. But that is delicious. It's so comforting and filling and lovely. Just so good. I'm talking to Martha. She has made, now I've forgotten, gochang? Gochichang. 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 And peanut butter udon noodles with peas, greens and a six-minute egg. Uh, how do we make this? How do we create this delicious dish? So you're going to start by slicing up your greens. We're using something called baby leaf greens, kind of spring greens, just kind of your run-of-the-mill essential waitrose spring greens. But you could use sugar snap peas, you could use cabbage, you could anything that you really like that's green. But this is nice because it kind of, cuts into ribbons which muddle with the noodles and make this lovely thing that's easy to pick up with a chopstick. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you slice those up and grate some garlic. Then we're going to fry off the garlic in a tiny bit of oil with a throw in those spring greens and a bag of petit pois. Some little peas go in. Oh lovely. Give it a mix and then whilst that's happening you're going to mix together all your sauce ingredients. This is really easy. You just want to get a little bowl or a jug and we're going to whisk together two tablespoons of the gochujang. Oh yeah, you're So the chang, lovely yeah. red paste. Yeah, yeah, then yeah. we want some soy sauce. It's got maple syrup, smooth peanut butter, which adds a lovely thickness to the sauce and a little bit of water. Whisk that all together. Then once your greens are looking wilty, we put in the noodles, udon noodles, they're nice and thick and they really cling on to the sauce. They go in, you pour over your sauce, you cook it for a couple of minutes. And then that's done. And whilst that is occurring, you make your six-minute egg. Oh, yeah, I forgot all about the egg. <laughs> no, so yes. did I. Go, go the the oh. egg <laughs> is so pretty. Is that a special sort of egg? Because the yes. yolk is such a gorgeous deep orange. Yeah, so when, you're, when the eggs are kind of mixed into a recipe, you can use regular eggs. But when they're on the top, like the crowning glory of this dish, you want a properly good egg. So these are Waitrose Longstock Gold Eggs. So they have this amazing kind of vibrantly coloured yolk. And Ellie Pear has devised a very clever technique to get that perfect kind of jammy centre, but not too kind of... This, you're looking at me like I'm about to say something revolutionary. It's you know, not revolutionary. It doesn't involve six minutes. It just involves six minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh no, this tip is going to be a lot less exciting than I can see your eyes are hoping for. <laughs> so the six minute, because it's always hard to know how long to boil an egg for. Even if you're just making a dippy soldier egg, I even as a kind of foodie chefy person, I get it wrong. <laughs> it's too running or it's too hard. But six minutes egg, so you put them into boiling water, cook them for six minutes, get them out, run them under cold water so they cool down a little bit. Nice. Then we're going to peel them. Oh, that's my favourite job. Do you like peeling oh, eggs? peeling a hard-boiled egg, I find so... <laughs> so I feel like I'm delivering babies. It's oh. just it's just lovely. They go, bloop, out they come. I just find it very stressful, like, getting all the... I'm going to have to get you in the kitchen next time to do it, because I, I don't enjoy that element. Mm, right, love it. You peel your eggs, and then once you've put your noodles into the bowl, you want to slice the egg over the bowl, so that if the yolk kind of spills over. It if Ellie's least, got it wrong. <laughs> at least lands into yeah, your yeah, dish. Yeah. So you slice it quite quickly and then it, and it folds open into the bowl and they should have this beautiful jammy but still slightly runny centre which makes the dish. It just all mixes together. And then a little sprinkle of black sesame seeds on top. Lovely. Or a nigella seed. Yeah, or a nigella <laughs> seed or a black onion seed. 
It's about the contrast, not the, not the flavour. Where did they all come from? How did we live in a world without those seeds? What well, we did. Uh, but they're here now and we like them. Uh, gotcha Chang and peanut butter udon noodles with peas, greens and a six minute egg. It is such a delicious and as just described, simple meal to make. Uh, you can find that recipe and all our recipes, past and present. I'm, well, not all of them, but anyway. Uh, can be found in the Graham Norton Waitrose Hub on the Waitrose website. It's waitrose.com slash showchef and you can see all those recipes prepared by Martha you can also check out the recipe on our socials at Virgin Radio UK thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose and hey have you clicked that follow button on our socials if not you are missing out on all the behind the scenes action from the kitchen to the studio just look up at Virgin Radio UK on Facebook Twitter or Instagram speak soon <laughs>